Good to be together, hopefully on one of our last snowy Sundays, we'll see. And uh, it's great to have our Facebook video feed as well. Um, it, it serves folks who are unable to be here. So uh, Lord bless you guys as you watch us on video. Uh, we are in a series in Malachi. My name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. And it's my privilege most Sundays to bring God's Word, part of our worship time. Uh, we encounter God in many ways as a church. We're called to do this through, through His Word. And hearing His Word proclaimed and hearing really from God is an important part of our, of our time. And, and He's given us His very words right here in the Bible. It's amazing. The eternal, infinite One uh, has communicated to us and, and has done that through God's Word. So we love to go through books of the Bible and teach and proclaim from His Word. And the, the intent in that is that we would hear from God Himself and that He would do His work in us and through us. So that's what we're doing as we gather in worship. So we're continuing in Malachi in our second uh, of the series. The series uh, overall name is just Wake Up. And I think you'll see, maybe you have seen already, that that theme uh, through Malachi, God's calling His people to wake up from spiritual slumber and giving them all sorts of uh, important reasons. Last week we learned about the reason of God's great love for us and choosing us and redeeming us. And that is uh, the most foundational reasons to wake up and to be uh, full of faith and devotion to the Lord. And this week we'll hit on a second one. So as you're turning there, chapter 1, verses 6 through 14, um, let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, we had, a, we had dogs actually all throughout my childhood. I don't remember a time when we didn't have a dog actually. Uh, but there was one dog, if I remember right, it was an Airedale we had. And we would uh, kennel him when we would go away. Uh, and I remember at least one instance in particular when he came back from the kennel. So we sent him to the kennel for a week. It was a good kennel. They took care of him, fed him. He was happy. So it was a good, good experience. Uh, he told me so. Um, and and uh, when, he, when he came back, though, it was really interesting that, that he would uh, pace. And he had this habit of pacing after the kennel where he would pace one direction about eight feet or so, then turn around and pace back. And it turns out that was the dimensions of the kennel. And yet he had a whole house to wander through, and we lived uh, with a big yard, and actually back in those days there weren't leash laws, so he had the whole neighborhood to pace about, and yet he was pacing about the eight-foot kennel. Uh, his world, his dog world, was kennel-sized at that point, and he lived in that, at least for a while. Well, in the book of Malachi, God's people are um, serving a kennel-sized God. They've reduced who God is in, in their minds to a small God. And so they are, in a sense, living in a, in a world, a consequent world, where God is small and they're pacing about in their kennel, even though they have this expansive God in all of His goodness and glory to enjoy and to trust and to follow. And so we're learning about that. And, and in all this, of course, uh, God intends that we would see ourselves in the story, that we would recognize that we ourselves at times have a have a small God and therefore we are small-souled or small-faithed ourselves. And the, in the call of Malachi, the call of this, of this message and really the whole book is to wake up and realize who God is. And this week, we're looking at the call to wake up and realize that He is worthy of our very best. So let's pray and we'll read God's Word and trust that He'll speak to us. Lord, thank You for Your Word and thank You that You don't leave us to our kennel-sized worlds and gods, but you want to come in and rescue us and change us and teach us about yourself and how good and glorious you are. 
So I pray as we look at your word, would you help me to, to rightly explain it and teach it, but also proclaim this truth. And I pray, Lord, for that, that aspect of it, um, really every aspect of that aspect of it in particular, I pray by your spirit that you would speak into our souls, into our lives, and there would be change. As we use our minds to understand, you by the power of the spirit would reach into our whole lives and transform us by your word. For our good and your glory and your great mission as well, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Read with me, starting in verse 6 of chapter 1. It says, A son honors his father, and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priests who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you? Or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts. And now entreat the favor of God that He may be gracious to us with such a gift from your hand. Will He show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you may not kindle fire on my altar in vain. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand? Says the Lord. Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. God's Word from Malachi. God's people during Malachi's day had lost sight of who God really is and therefore their lives had, had compromised. They had lost hold of what it means to believe and follow after God. They had lost faith for, really, for God and for giving God their best. That's what's going on here. Their God is small and so their faith and devotion is small. And yet God is on a rescue mission to them and, and really through this Word to us as well to wake them up from their spiritual slumber to see who God is, that He is truly worthy of our very best. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at three different aspects from the section on that. So first, we must wake up because God is ultimately worthy of honor. He's most worthy of honor. God uh, starts out in this paragraph comparing two roles um, to Himself. They are well-known roles to His audience. He compares the role of father and master. Uh, we might say a dad and a boss. Uh, we're familiar with these roles as well. Um, the roles are slightly different though uh, today. Um, 
for, for good or for worse than they were in the day of Malachi. Uh, in the, in, and certainly, uh, they would have understood that a dad is a role that, that has uh, two aspects to it. it. It is a role of provider. A provider for his family. Uh, he's called to provide. He's called to preside over his family. And he exercises authority over his family. And in those days, in, uh, in a very intense way, that was true. Uh, it's less so. It's still that way today, of course, but less so. In those days, he was the, he was the sole and ultimate provider. And he, he was the, really the, an intense authority in families. And the way that they would have related to the father was as the ultimate authority. And so they were familiar with this role of a dad, of a father. And they all knew and they all lived in that world and they all operated in that world. They all understood intuitively how you related to your dad. That you respected him. That you honored your dad. That you were grateful to your dad. He uses that comparison, but also the role of a master over a servant. And again, this would have been familiar to them. Uh, we don't have quite the same setup that they would have had. and They had different levels of servitude. Everything from, uh, from voluntary to indentured to in enslavement in their society. And so they were familiar at the, at the time with this role of a master, that a master had similarly to a dad, had this role of presiding and providing, and had the role of authority. And, and every servant to a master understood that you lived in this place of, of honor and respect and, and, and appropriate uh, reverence to your master. And so God's comparing these, these familiar roles that they had to His role. And, and pointing out to them that if you guys get this, then what's up with your relationship with me? Um, it's it's um, like, I guess, for us, uh, if, you, if you were in line, in the receiving line to see Queen Elizabeth, uh, and you were getting ready to go up you know, and shake her hand and have your five seconds of, of nice conversation with the Queen, and actually she's very good at that if you've ever seen seen that on videos, and, and you're waiting in line and there's someone in front of you and, and, you, and they're just an interesting person and they go up to the queen and, and they uh, say something really insulting to the queen and, 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 you know, I don't know, maybe slap the queen in the face or something, what would be your reaction? You'd be like, you'd be in shock. You'd be like, what are you doing? I mean, to anybody, that's Queen Elizabeth. What are you, what are you thinking? How inappropriate. And you'd be happy for those the guards to come and whatever. I don't know if the guys with the big tall black hats would be there and rush in or whatever. But you'd be like, yeah, this is awful. That's kind of what God's saying here in Malachi. Guys, you understand what it is to honor a dad. And you understand what it is to honor a master. And yet, where's my honor? You're insulting me. You're slapping me in the face. And you don't think it's a problem. He's getting at that through this comparison. And actually, it's not only through a father and a master, but it's also comparing to a governor. So he says in the section, you know, take those offerings to your governor. He says in verse 8, present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor? The governor at the time was like a, a, a mini king in the area. They were under the Persian Empire at this point. Persian Empire was gigantic. It went from India all the way to Greece and all the way down to Egypt. So thousands of miles. And so over the different uh, regions, they had governors. They were like sub-kings. And so the governor was a really important position. And he had ultimate sway over their lives in many ways. He could, he could make their lives good or miserable. He could, he could probably uh, uh, bring them to, to trial and have them executed and so forth. And so there was an appropriate 
a reverence for the governor and appropriate desire that they'd have the governor's favor. And so God says, so bring some of those sacrifices that you've been bringing to me. Bring them to the governor and see what he says. And he's trying to wake them up to recognize that, that this is not appropriate. Now, some background to this that's important in terms of offerings. Uh, we don't have offerings in, in this way now. This is in the... Uh, Old Testament, the people of God in, in that day, before the fulfillment of those offerings through Christ, uh, had a system of bringing offerings to God. Uh, the temple was the place where they met God. God had re, uh, seen to it to have the temple rebuilt, and so they were worshiping God at the temple, and, and they expressed their faith and dependence on God and their devotion to God through their offerings at the temple. And there were all different types of offerings, and, and they were done uh, on different scales. So there was offerings given for the whole people of Israel, and then personal offerings. Uh, and there were different types of these different offerings. So there were offerings to, there was to atone for sin. So when they, uh, there was just a general atonement that went on every year where they would offer uh, bulls and, and the blood and, and goats and so forth. And they would be for the sins of the people to, to pay for the sins, to speak of God's payment for their sins against God. And so they would bring these offerings and they were given on behalf of the whole people and, and they were to take the best of their flocks and to offer them. Uh, there were offerings given for thanksgiving. Just to say, Lord, thank You. You've been so good to me. There were offerings just given out of love for the Lord and, and pledges to the Lord of just devotion. And there were different scales. And if you, were, um, if you couldn't afford some of the more, like you know, a goat or a, a, a steer or whatever, a bull, uh, most people couldn't afford that. There were other smaller offerings that were perfectly acceptable. But there were ways to say to the Lord, please forgive me. Lord, I love You. Lord, I give my life to You. They were to give the first fruits of what they got from their herds and from their crops. So the, the first part, the first 10%, they were to give to the Lord. Uh, an offering to the Lord. And it was, uh, it was to be an expression of their hearts. So in Scripture, God's never like, you know, I don't care about what you think or where your heart is as long as you do this. It wasn't like that. This was an overflow of their faith and devotion to the Lord. And that was the system they lived under in their worship. So it, it was how they worshiped God. God wasn't like, you know, hungry or poor that He somehow needed these things to be given to Him. Uh, he doesn't need the offerings, but He wants them to be in right relationship with Him. He wants them to live under His rule and reign, uh, to be devoted to Him to trust in Him, and to walk with Him. He wants their hearts, and their hearts are expressed through this worship. So that's the context. And these offerings would have been brought to the temple, and then the priests uh, of, of the tribe of Levi, they would have administrated the giving of these offerings. So they would oversee these offerings, and they would bring them, and be the ones that actually offer them. And then people could participate in that, and there would be feasts and so forth that would go with that. And so the priest had leeway in the whole system. And so God is addressing the priest in this section, but He's also addressing the people because they're the ones bringing the offerings. But the priests are the ones who are administrating and deciding how to use the offerings. Are they acceptable? And God had given clear guidelines on how to do this because He's a great God. And He deserves our worship. He deserves our very best. And so He said, I, I want you to bring the first of your flock. I want you to bring the best of your flock. Not blemished animals, not, not sick animals, but the very best. And so that's the context here, and that's what they're failing to do. He's addressing the fact that they're failing to honor Him. And, and it's blatant. Uh, they're treating God abysmally. They're half-hearted. They're, they're cheap. And they're insincere in their offerings. And they, they never would dream of treating their father or master or the governor in such a way. These 
Other roles are like God, but, it, but God is even greater than a dad or a master or the governor in His provision, in His presiding over our lives, in the rightful authority, in the rightful love and affection and obedience we owe Him because He's good and great. And so, he's arguing from these roles and, and comparing it to the, to the great, really the infinite One who is infinitely more worthy. So, all your shock about treating Queen Elizabeth that way, multiply that by infinity. And that's how shocked we should be when God is not properly honored. And they had all the reasons they needed to, to worship Him wholeheartedly, but they had lost sight of those things. Their circumstances and, and their choices had narrowed their view of God. Their disappointments had, had brought their eyes downward and they were pacing in their kennel-sized faith and failing to see God in who He is. And, and yet they should have known who He is because it had been revealed to them. It's been revealed to all mankind that God is is the Creator and Sustainer of all things. Every good gift comes from Him. Every breath that we have comes from Him. Every beat of our heart is because He grants it. Every meal we enjoy, every relationship we have, every sweet moment in life, every good gift, the Bible says, comes from God. And they would have known this. They should have known this. But not only those general aspects that are true for all of humanity, because all humanity uh, is is under the mercy of God in these ways. But, but as the special people of God in the Old Testament, there, there was also the, the specific grace of God for them, the covenantal grace of God. For God had rescued them, had called them and rescued them out of Egypt, out of slavery. He had called them into this new life, into a new community, living in His presence. That's what it was about. It was about enjoying God, having Him live in the middle of, of their land and of their camp earlier on. And to enjoy Him and depend on Him and know that He'd rescued them and He loved them and was for them and they were to be His treasured possession. And they were to be His treasured possession in all the earth. They were to shine as they believed Him and trusted Him and walked in His law and His good ways. His law is good. And for the, the believer, the law is a blessing and something you love to do. You're, you're free and Forgiveness, but you're called to obey the law in love for Him. And so it's a good thing. And this is what God had called them to. They had all these things. And, and not only that, not only their original redemption out of Egypt into the Promised Land, but, but after they had been stubbornly rebellious for 400 years and they were finally exiled, as God had already told them way before, He brought them back. He brought them back to the land. He restored them. And He didn't just bring them back to the land. He had the temple be rebuilt by money from the king. And, and God was bringing others to help. And this day, likely, Nehemiah was at work rebuilding the wall. And there were many other ways God was blessing them. And yet they failed to see this. They were insulting Him. Failing to see His goodness and worth. They had lost sight. And it was shockingly insulting. They were like a spoiled child sitting on the lap of a gracious and patient and generous Father, slapping Him in the face saying, I hate you, Daddy. You never give me what I want. And yet God would not let them get away with this. He came to rescue them. Now, lest we are too quick to judgment to the people in Malachi's day, we have less excuse than they do. 
Because not only do we have the general blessings that they had just in humanity and God's creation, but, but I think we live in an unusual time in history where, where the blessings of common grace are, are amazing. Um, I, just had, I had my knee replaced a little while ago. Uh, Kelly Gannon just had her knee replaced years ago. We didn't have that option, right? Not that long ago. If you had a bad knee, you had a bad knee the rest of your life. You walked around in pain. The advances in medicine are an amazing blessing. The good medicine, the good uh, surgeons and so forth that we have, the health care, all these things. We, we live in an amazing age, and those are blessings for all of humanity. God has been good to us. All these things are from Him. Every good gift from Him. And so just that alone uh, is just a, a huge amount of data saying God has been good. And, and so when we doubt Him, we don't have any excuse just based on that. But we know the fullness of redemptive love. That not only did He rescue them from Egypt to call them out to be His own people, but that was actually only a foretaste of what He was going to do in Christ. And that He came to rescue us. God Himself showed up in the flesh as Jesus. And fulfilled the law, the, the law that we could never fulfill. Fulfilled it for us. And then offered up that righteous life on the cross to pay for our sins, to shed His blood. The blood of God the Son for us, for our sins. So atonement and offering would be made not by us, but by Himself on our behalf. Shedding His blood, dying for our sins on the cross. The wages of sin is death. The, the debt that we owe God for our rebellion is, is death. It's spiritual death. And ultimately physical death to be cut off from Him. It's just it's a just punishment. It's a just consequence for our sin. It's, it's no one on the final day is going to say, God, that's not just. We're going to see the justice. It's perfect in its justice. And, and left in our sin, God is right to exile us to death apart from Him. And yet, in His amazing redemptive love, He sent His Son for us to die in our place on the cross. And then rise again victorious over sin and death on the third day. And through simple faith, simple faith, not having to bring an expensive offering somehow to earn what He's done, but to simply receive it. Through all who received Him and gave the right to become children of God. Simply saying, I don't want my own way. I don't want sin anymore. I don't want it anymore. I want You, Jesus. And I, I believe and receive You. Through simple faith in Him, all that's ours. Forgiveness and eternal life. And He reigns in our lives as a King and He calls us to a new community, the, uh, the church as a whole and local churches. And then one day He will return and finish the work. He employs us in His mission to be His hands and feet to touch other lives on His behalf. I mean, what greater privilege could we have? All these things are ours in Christ. All these things are ours in God. He has been good to us. And He's active in and through our lives. And, and through Him we overcome this world. And so, we have all the more reason to trust Him. To honor Him. To love Him with our whole hearts in all of our lives. To have Him never say these sorts of things to us. We have all the more reason because of what we have in, in Christ and, and in this day and what God's doing. And so, let us not. Let us not have a small God. Let us not lose faith in God. Let us not come with paltry offerings let us not come with half-hearted devotion. 
Let us not compromise with the world and its ways, thinking that if I can, you know, it's just not good enough to, to believe God and be a Christian. I need a little bit of this too. And so we have one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord, and, and we compromise. And when I say the world, I mean the world, humanity apart from God. I don't mean anything that's not in the church. It's life lived without God at the center. And we want to live in both worlds at times. And we're just like the people in Malachi's day. And, and, and may it never be so. God's calling us through Malachi to wake up and understand who He is in all of His glory and goodness that we would be fully devoted, freely responding to Him in love, faith, and obedience, and bringing Him our very best. That's the first point. We are to wake up because God deserves wholehearted offerings. Part of what's going on here is that they're bringing these half-hearted and paltry, compromised offerings. They're supposed to bring the best of their flocks, their firstborn of their herds and crops. And instead, they're bringing offerings that really don't cost them anything. And the priests are somehow thinking that this is okay. They think they can get away with it. I don't know what's going on in their minds. I, I guess we all do this, don't we? When, we? when we compromise, we think somehow God doesn't know what we're doing. We just kind of go into some delusion, right? I mean, you've got to be delusional to, to think. How does God not know what I'm doing here? Um, and you see this pattern in Scripture when, when, there are, when there's disobedience of just self-deception. And you see it in our own lives. And, and so these guys are, are just they're not getting it. They think somehow they can pass one over on God, right? And so they're bringing animals that, are, that are, they're already getting rid of. They're, they're the blemished animals. They're the less than perfect ones. They're the cheap part of their flock. Or, it, when he says things taken by violence, it, that word means that they're basically already dead. They died somehow. And so they're bringing dead animals to offer. They're already dead. And, and they're getting rid of them already. They're, there's nothing to that. And they're thinking that they can get away with it. So verse 14, God says, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. It's a che they're cheating God. They're thinking they can somehow cheat God. Vowing one and then bringing a blemished one, it reminds me of a story I heard about a farmer who, had, uh, who was overjoyed because his, his prized milk cow had two calves. I guess it's unusual to have two. So he had two calves, you know, future milk cows as well, and he was so overjoyed, he just, he just said, uh, Lord, I'm gonna because you've been so good to me. I'm gonna I devote one of these calves to you, and and when it's mature, I'm gonna sell it and give the money to missions. And he was so excited about that. And and then over time, when uh, the the calves started to mature and they got near maturity, and uh, but they were both stricken with a serious bovine virus, and one of the calves uh, died. And the farmhand came in and at and to breakfast as the farmer was there with his wife and said, um, Mr. Mr. Brown, you're one of your prized calves died. And Mr. Brown turned to his wife and said, oh, it's a shame, honey, the Lord's cow died. So he chose at that moment to, to renege, to find a loophole. And that's, what, that's what's being said here. Cursed be the cheat who, has a, who devotes something to the Lord and yet sacrifices something less. Um, and God calls us to, and calls the, His people in that day to wholehearted worship to offer Him their very best. To do it in faith and gratitude to Him. And to not think that somehow God can, you know, somehow won't see what we're doing. 
is his sincerity he calls us to in this. Now, you have to understand a little bit of background here. There was a system in that day for those that couldn't afford certain things. If you couldn't afford an expensive cow, you could do pigeon and other things. So there was a whole system set up. And, and we know from Jesus' teaching, uh, the, the greatest offering that he saw that day was when the widow brought her little penny and gave that in the offering. And there were wealthy people giving a lot more, but she gave the greatest offering. So it's a matter of the heart. That's the background we need to understand here. He wants our hearts. That's what's behind all this, is to give Him our whole hearts and then in proportion to give to Him of our lives, of, of our material possessions and our time and our, and our devotion and our plans and our dreams that are follow our heart. And, and so there's real concrete aspects to that. That's what's going on here. Their hearts are not for the Lord and so they're compromising in the particulars. God cares about our hearts and He cares about the particulars. They're connected. It's not like you're someone that can separate the two. They go together. We're, we're body and soul together. These things come together. And that's important to get. Scripture says where, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. Treasure is the concrete particulars. And in Jesus, in that context of that teaching, He means your finances and your heart. They're connected. And so hear that. Hear that it's about the heart. But understand that there's real concrete aspects to that that God's getting at in this. And and the whole thing here is they've lost sight of who the Lord is. And and so they're in this whole deception of somehow, you know, we can get by, like Ananias and Sapphira thinking that somehow, you know, God won't find out. We vowed all of our income, we kept back half of it. God God won't find that we'll find that out. We'll look okay. And then in that story, God's judgment comes to them and their believers. God knows and understands and He sees through it all. He sees our hearts. He sees our actions. And this should call, cause us to run to Him and to ask Him, revive my heart, O God. Rescue me from, from paltry offerings. Rescue me from half-hearted devotion. Create in me a heart of faith and sincerity to give to You generously in what You're doing in and through my life and through the life of my church and beyond. Now, this is a heavy word, and we need to hear these sorts of things. But I want you to know that, that by and large, as I think about our church in this category, I, I'm really grateful. And our church is full of people who are full of faith and devoted uh, in many, many ways and serve in many ways. But, but, so I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to feel like, <laughs> read into it. Is there something, something wrong? Like, is, is Pastor Paul kind of trying to get at something here you know, without being direct? No, I'm not. I'm just, we're just going through Malachi. Um, and and my, my attitude towards our church is gratitude. It's, I'm, I'm grateful. Um, and I'm grateful that we are, are full of people, full of faith. And, and, and also people who hear these sorts of words and take them seriously. So I don't want to miss the opportunity to, to be called to a deeper level of faith and devotion and participation. Um, I'm grateful for our church. Just a little bit of background, by the way, uh, in the specifics for us. So you know why I'm grateful. There's lots of different ways. But just in terms of, of giving to the life and mission of this church, uh, we, as a church, we have about 50 households or so. So just kind of uh, making things anonymous, just calling things households and so, so forth. And then looking at how many households we have and what the average income in our area is, we should expect 
for our church, a typical church our size, 50 households in this area, to have a yearly budget of about 100000 That's That's typical. Our budget, yearly budget, is over 200000 And that's just because of you guys and your faith and devotion. And that allows us to do things as a church that are, are wonderful. Um, typically, about 20% of any church in America, 20% of the people tithe. And a tithe is giving 10% of your first fruits. It's along that scripture from uh, that principle from Scripture. Uh, we don't require it of our members, but it's a wonderful principle, I think. And let, let us not have the Old Testament believers exceed us in our generosity because we have so much. Um, but it's, so it's a good principle, 10% of, of your first fruits. Uh, and about, about 20% of the typical church tithes. Uh, for us, it's, it's just guessing on the numbers. I don't know the particulars, but if you look at the numbers and uh, the average income in our area and so forth, it's about 40% of our church that tithes. And that's wonderful. Um, this is a generous church, and we're able to do as a result some wonderful things. Support three different missionary families as a church. We've been able to plant three churches, uh, and we're supporting the Salem plants right now, and I know you guys are supporting that, that personally as well. Uh, we also give 10% of our income to the mission missions, both uh, domestic and international missions of our denominations, uh, both Sovereign Grace, our first priority, as well as uh, the Baptist Convention of New England. Yesterday we had a fantastic by the way, fantastic Alpha Retreat. Uh, we went away. Uh, at the Alpha course is a course that's uh, an introduction, exploration, or reintroduction, really, uh, to the Christian faith. And the retreat, there's a weekend away that's part of it. We had a great time. Great teaching, a wonderful encounter with the Lord in our time. Perhaps we'll hear more later about that. Um, and it was underwritten by the church. It, so it could be affordable for everybody. And, and so there's all these sorts of wonderful things uh, that go on in our church because of your faith and devotion. So I want you to hear that. I want you to be encouraged. But I also want you to hear uh, that we have room to grow. Uh, if everybody in our church tithe, again, this is just the guess on average income. I don't, I don't know the particulars. If everyone in our church tithe, we would have an additional $160,000 a year as a church. And you might be thinking, like, what, are you greedy? Yeah, for the right reasons because I start dreaming about the things we can do for the kingdom with 160000 extra a year. Uh, we have some slides, if you can put those up. Um, so just, and, and please dream this way too. This is just me dreaming. I'm not trying to say we, we need to do this. But first, one of the first things is we could, that would pay for our refurbishing downstairs, our fellowship hall, allow us in ministry like Alpha and other things to, to be even more effective and hospitable. The vision there is that we, a place where we would be excited to welcome our friends for outreach, and we would be honored to, have, to host like a reception for a wedding. That's, that's what we want that space to be like, to redo the children's ministry area a little bit. So we could do that. That's one. This is just all under 160. Second, we could add a parking lot in the back, so spaces here for visitors and, and handicapped and so forth. And we'd still have enough money left over to hire another full-time pastor as a church. And boy, what we could do with another full-time pastor. <laughs> Uh, youth ministry, evangelism, counseling, just all the things, and, and just the, the impact I think our church could have as a result of that is, is fantastic. That's just one idea, and that's just one way to do it. Or we could say we could, we could fully underwrite, I think this is the next, next slide, we could fully underwrite two church plants per year in New England. Like fully underwrite with that 160000 So they So the whole year would be taken care of. They could they could plant and grow and reach people, and boy, New England needs good churches. 
The, the goal uh, that I have, I serve with, as the director for the Gospel Coalition New England, um, the goal there is a church, uh, a gospel preaching church within reach of every New Englander. That's the goal. So we could be part of that locally. Um, or we could fund, in a place like Nepal, eight church planters who, who in Nepal typically would, would oversee ten different churches in different villages. That's 80 churches in Nepal, and that's only about one-third of that. So we could do that three times. So two, 240, right? Eight times three. 240 churches a year in Nepal with that money. We could fund the region of two to three unreached people groups per year. There's 4,000 groups in the world, people groups in the world, where they have not heard the gospel. There's no witness in their midst. God's desire is for all peoples to be reached. We could, we could fund two to three of those every year. So just imagine being part of knocking that number down at a local church. I could go on, and I'm sure you could go on with ideas here. And I'm content and I'm grateful for what we have. But God is good. And He's glorious. And He's been so good to us. So why not strive for the very best that we can give? Why not strive and stretch to give beyond what we're used to giving? To trust Him according to His Word. To be able to give to Him and what He's doing in the world in these wonderful ways. Finally, we must wake up because God will be honored among the nations. And in this paragraph, uh, three times he talks about this. In verse 11, uh, it happens twice. He says, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and every place incense will be offered to my name, and a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. In verse 14, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So part of the motivation for the people of God in that day is God saying, I'm a great God and I will be feared among the nations. I'm to be worshipped among the nations. I'm intent on every nation, every people, every tribe, every tongue, every village appreciating and enjoying and living in my goodness and glory. That's who I am. I'm not a small kennel God. I'm a great and glorious God. And so understand that. Understand that I'm worthy of these things and I want to bless the whole world. I want them to know me in my goodness and glory and find life in this. So set your sights on who I am and be fully devoted to me in faith and understand the connection between your devotion and God's worship throughout the earth. For it's a principle in Scripture from beginning to end that when God's people are fully devoted to God, He makes them shine. And, and people are attracted and drawn in. In the days of the Old Testament, that was through the nation of Israel. They were meant to be a, a, a city on the hill as a nation. Right there in the middle of, of the highways of the ancient world. They were to shine and to be a witness to draw people in. They didn't fulfill that witness fully. And so, Jesus came, of course, to rescue us and give us life and now commissions us to go to go where we are, to shine where we are, and, and others to go and establish churches where, where they go to shine as well so that our worship overflows to worship in the nations. That's the idea. It's, it's there in the Old Testament. Psalm 67. Listen to Psalm 67. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make His face to shine upon us that 
Your way may be known on earth. Your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For You judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Let the peoples praise You, O God. Let all the peoples praise You. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear Him. This psalm understands that, that spiritual prosperity and blessing and worship is to overflow and touch the nations. And that's what God's getting at here with the people in Malachi's day. They're missing this. They have a small guard and God and they have a small faith and small devotion. And God wants to lift up their eyes and say, I'm a great God. And my goal is that, that there be pure worship in every nation. We know this is being fulfilled through Christ as the Gospel goes forward, as people of local churches like ours taste and see that He is good, experience Him in our own lives, the Kingdom coming in and through our own lives, and, and, and we worship and it overflows to the nations because we want others to know this great God and live in Him as well. So we participate in the mission financially. We participate by sending people to train others. We participate by sending people on short-term missions. And God willing, we will have even more missionaries from our midst go permanently to the nations. That's just natural how it works when we get who God is. And that's what, that's what Malachi is getting at here. God deserves to be glorified. And He will be great among the nations. He's worthy. And He wants you and your faith and devotion in light of who He is to ring out and herald His name among the nations even. If the band could come up as we conclude. So we must wake up because He deserves to be honored among the nations. He will be. We must wake up because He deserves our wholehearted devotion. We must wake up because He's worthy of the ultimate honor. So I trust that as we're looking at God's Word that He's given you some sort of wake-up call this morning. So let's take a minute as the band comes up and as they get ready just to respond to Him and to give to Him what He's worthy of. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe there's some way that you can honor Him in faith. Some gift to give to Him that you've, you've maybe held back and not trusted Him for. Maybe it's to start tithing. Maybe it's to go on a short-term mission trip. Or long-term. Whatever it, may, it might be, I don't know. Maybe it's just to, to say, Lord, I want more of Your glory in my family and how I love my spouse and relate to my spouse. So whatever it might be, He's worthy of these things. So let's go to Him and ask Him to help us, to wake us up, and to lead us in worship. Take a minute to do that and then Toby will come up to transition us.